Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to our worship service this morning in Kirkpatrick Memorial Presbyterian Church. Uh, my name's Graham, uh, and I'm actually one of the newest members here, uh, having only arrived Friday week ago as your new minister. So if you also are new to Kirkpatrick uh, this morning, uh, either here in the building or watching online, then you're very welcome. Uh, we'd love to get a chance to speak to you. I very definitely need to get a chance to speak to you. Uh, so do make yourself known to myself or to a member of the welcome team this morning. As we come to worship today, we remind ourselves that we worship a God who is unfathomably majestic, and at the same time, a God who provides for all of our needs. The psalmist in Psalm 104 says this, Praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. We come to the God who uh, made us, who is majestic and who reigns over all creation, and who also knows our every needs and the daily things that we face. So we come to him together in prayer. Let's all pray. Lord, our God, we come to this place today, not as strangers, but as members of your family. We come not in fear, but with joy and thanksgiving. We don't come on our own, but in the company of all your people of every age and in every place. We come as your children, because you're our Father and Jesus Christ, our true elder brother, our Savior, and our King. We come to worship. We come to adore you. Lord Jesus, we confess that although you offer us all of this in grace, we still seek to earn your love. Although you know us completely, we still try to hide parts of ourselves from you. Although you've given your all for us, we still hold back parts of our lives from you. Although you're alive and present with us, we live as though you're just another long dead figure from history. By your Spirit, change our lives. Renew us and set us free to be the men and women, boys and girls you always intended us to be, reflecting your image, reflecting your light to our world of darkness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to join together in our first... In our Connecting Church slot, uh, today we're focusing on uh, two of our youth organizations, our Boys Brigade and our Girls Brigade organizations. Uh, and in our second service, we're going to be enrolling uh, officers and leaders uh, of the two companies uh, into their work. We've already done that with the boys and the girls uh, in their, uh, their nights together. Uh, but for this uh, service, what I thought we would do is get some of the, the BB and GB leaders up to the front. Uh, so if they would 
come up. I hope they're, they're here. I can see it. Okay, they're coming up now. Uh, and uh, we're going to uh, interview them uh, and ask them just how things have been going in BB and GB. So I'm going to hand someone. Nobody's keen to take the mic first. <laughs> uh, but before we, before we interview you guys, we're going to watch a video uh, of just some of the work that's been going on in BB and GB. Do you promise to come along each week to learn about God and with his help to become the boys he wants you to be? Well done. Well, they had a time pleasure to enroll you in the this year. Give yourselves a round of applause. yourselves to be interviewed. Uh, so uh, this is more for my benefit than anybody else's. We have Gareth and Gavin and Andrea and Caroline and Catherine at the front. Um, guys, thank you for allowing yourselves to be interviewed. Can I just say the, the, the boys, or the, the girls have already run, won the loudest we do shout, I'm afraid. Sorry about that, guys. But um, Can you give us an idea how many young people of each age group come along to your organization and what you get up to on a normal night, Gareth. Thanks, Graham. So um, for the B 
BB this year, uh, we have in and around 120 boys registered, and that's across three sections. So from age four uh, to seven in anchor boys, and then seven to 11 in juniors, and then 12 to 18 in, in company section. And as you'll have seen from just the little video there, uh, pandemic has acted in a certain way. So BB at the minute is spread over uh, three different locations. But what we do in a normal night, wherever we meet, is that the boys uh, will always have an opportunity to let off steam, which is critically important if we're going to then try and talk to them and teach them. And then we talk to them about God unashamedly, uh, directly. We, we want to introduce them to God and Jesus um, through the BB. And then we teach them as well about what it means to be a boy growing up to be the man that God wants them to be. And that includes things like discipline. It includes things like good teamwork, being a good friend to one another. And, for example, a typical night uh, in, the, in the current environment um, also means, for the company section boys, pretty much being out and about in the forest, lighting fires, uh, cooking some food. But mostly it's about fellowship and getting to know one another and being led by the leaders in relation to knowing about God. For the girls, um, we have just under 50 um, in the P1 to P7 age bracket. Um, Andrea, how many? Oh, you're, okay, yeah, okay. So Andrea looks after the, the secondary school age. Um, but normally we try and kind of split the evening up into two or three parts. So we always give them the chance to do an activity. Um, we'll also do some sort of craft or making something some kind of creative aspect and then we do spend time with them talking about god's attitude to a specific topic or learning about something like people who help us and how that's kind of drawn out in the bible and how that will affect our lives and their lives from week to week and um, it's usually really fun and um, we did used to try and get everybody together at the end so that all the age groups could mix at the moment we're not able to do that with them um, with the COVID restrictions, but hopefully we will get back to that because seeing all the age groups together is is a really fun part of the evening as well. Absolutely. Hi, um, I'm involved with the um, senior GB then that's called GB Extra here um, from first to third year. And we have up to 35 girls at it. Um, and we've kind of tried to do um, continue what they've done in the past of a big Bible night or a big activity night. So. Um, our activity nights include um, dance and circuits and board games and going out bowling. And in our Bible nights, um, we're focusing on um, different things like we've done Bible journaling, um, how to study the Bible, how to pray each day, um, and various other things, being a Christian in school and different activities like that. Yeah. And we'll start the activity, with the night with popcorn and juice, as well, they have good. done, which we'll is stick important. With the, we'll stick with the girls, just ask the next question. But the what have been the challenges, the specific challenges of organising sort of during the pandemic what is what has been your things that you've been um so probably the biggest challenge um for gb extra is that we have four entirely new leaders this year so um we have we have taken over um from what was already established which has been great but um it's just learning on the job really for us so yeah. um obviously covid has thrown another spanner into that works but that's probably been the biggest challenge for gb extra this year um, in GB, it's actually quite similar. We shut down the week before parents' night, and I think none of us could quite believe that this was happening. 
Um, and then we went into a period where GB really didn't happen in any meaningful way. I think simply because for Kath and I, and for many of you, um, the headspace just wasn't there. We were trying to juggle very busy lives. Many of us were schooling from home. Um, and it did really feel like actually to say to people, right, and now you need to do another Zoom where you bring your kids to GB <laughs> was maybe too much um, for parents and for us. So it didn't happen, and I think we really missed it. Um, and then when we started up again in, in a similar vein to Andrea, we had a whole host of new leaders who we um, really had not much GB experience. So we kind of felt like we were starting from scratch again, which in many ways has been lovely to have a real new beginning, a new vision and a new focus. Um, and Kath, maybe you'll tell us some of our challenges. Yeah, I think for us, the challenges have been more practical. Um, trying to figure out how we would run GB without cross-contamination of the groups, um, if that's the right word. Um, and then also from the point of view of additional risk assessments and that kind of thing. I work in insurance, so I think about risk a lot. Um, so <laughs> it was probably quite challenging for me not to overthink that. Um, but I think we've kind of got a good balance now. There's a lot of Dettol spray happening, um, always, which... But yeah, it's been great. It's been great to get back together. It's been great to have the girls coming back and telling us how much they enjoy being together again. Brilliant. Yeah, so a lot of similar things for ourselves. As Gareth said, we're split over three different sites, which um, can be a bit logistically difficult for parents trying to pick up. Um, so um, we're very thankful for, for parents being, um, being able to take that on board. You know, we're doing sign up outside and at the start, I was sort of thinking, oh no, it's going to you're going to be raining and the parents are going to be trying to get their kids dropped off and picked up. I think there might have been one night where it was slightly drizzly on a Monday, you know, <laughs> so it's been amazing, just um, God's providence over that as well. Um, and then the biggest thing, I suppose, is just numbers of leaders and numbers of boys. So as Gareth said, there's big numbers of boys. And as you all know, um, you know, folks get COVID, folks have to stay at home for a while. So in this last week, or last sorry, since um, after Christmas, We've had a one leader in Anchor Boys out every week. Um, and so you're just hoping that there's no more sort of texts come through too late on that someone else has tested positive. So we're constantly looking at ratios and making sure that we're, um, you know, we're safe from that end. And um, we've been very thankful that folks have stepped in at the last minute and um, even baby leaders moving between sections just to make sure that we're all sorted. So we're a good team and we kind of make sure we, we do it. And again, lots of things have changed, but essentially we're still doing a lot of the same things that we were doing before and hopefully the boys haven't noticed that, that things are any different than before, you know. Good. So looking to the future then, um, I suppose we can fold these two questions together. You know, looking to the future, how are you seeing things develop or how would you like to see things develop and also how can we pray? Sure. Well, certainly from BB perspective, um, uh, what does the future look like? In one sense, we don't know. Uh, we're just constantly flexing with the restrictions as they develop. One would hope that um, as things normalize, we just continue to get back to, to BB as was. As Gavin says, um, it would be really, as long as we can continue to deliver uh, service to the boys, whether that's over three locations or over time, it'd be great to get them all back so they can see one another and see how BB works together. That would be ideal. But until that happens, as long as we're just we're just happy to continue to do, to uh, deliver and serve some kind of uh, BB night for them all, um, and then you know in terms of uh, leader numbers, uh, you know what what can we be praying for within the church? I suppose um, one of the things I think is really important for the boys 
uh, is that they understand just how connected BB here actually is to the church. It is not just a youth club that happens to meet on this site or other sites. <laughs> it's actually intrinsically linked to this church. The leaders are, some of the boys are, but not all of them. But what we want them to do and their families is to be totally comfortable, A, talking about God and learning about God in BB, but also totally comfortable coming in here. And that ultimately being fully connected to this church and community is is one of the things, one of the key things that we want to see uh, as time goes by. That would be one of our things, I know. Yeah, and I suppose um, a, a very basic, simple prayer that... Um, you know, I, I would pray regularly and ask uh, you know, all the leaders to do so as well. It's just that the boys would come to know God as their saviour, that um, as they grow up through BB and the leaders teach them, you know, from the Bible, that they would um, have good peers that are able to support them as they go through their teenage years and beyond. And um, we kind of, I suppose, give them the tools that they can um, can lean on whenever things are tough in school and, and life and whatever. Um, but yeah, we just want and our, as Gary said, unashamedly, you know, teach the boys about God and want them to, to come to know him as their saviour. Um, so the future for DB Extra, we're really mindful that um, like 10 years ago, there wasn't really the need in Kirkpatrick for DB Extra because there wasn't a lot of um, first to third year girls. So um, I guess for us to think, to just keep evaluating like, because it is first or third form at the minute, is that the best thing to do going forward? It's every other week. Is that the best? Just logistics like that of how, as Kirkpatrick has changed over time, whether we're serving those girls best um, in those logistics. And then um, in terms of prayer, you know, the GB motto is seek, serve, follow Christ. And just like the boys were saying there too, that um, just wisdom really on its it's easy to get caught up in the planning of what we are actually physically doing, but just um, wisdom and how to incorporate that into everything that we are doing at GB so that um, we're passing that on to the girls. Um, so for us, looking forward, we stood here two years ago and then um, Kath and I just started as leaders of GB and then we kind of were prematurely cut short. So our vision is the same. We want this to be the best girl gang ever, that they grow up and that they know that they have a community of girls around them who are like-minded, who will support them when the outside world tells them that they should be or do or think things that um, they know as Christian girls aren't right to be or do or think. It's so important, and Kath and I both know this, because we've grown up blessed by our own leaders and friends to have your girl gang, to have your support. So we want them to grow up through GB, having that community and that support to go on to GB Extra and to be girls who grow up to be the kind of um, young women and the future leaders that will then bring another generation of girls. And we both have a real heart to disciple those girls. Um, for me, in terms of prayer, I have two big thank yous. Thank you um, for the provision of amazing leaders. I hope they're listening at home. If they're not, I'm going to make them listen back because they are mummies. They are full-time working people who are juggling more plates than I care to think about. And they turn up on a Tuesday night with enthusiasm and joy to lead and to, um, to help those girls. So uh, we're just so grateful and thankful for them. Thankful for the amazing girls. If you are sitting here as a parent of a girl who comes to GB or you're listening at home, Thank you for your brilliant girls. They are the best fun ever, and we just love them. And it's such a joy to be back with them again. So 
two prayers of just thanksgiving um, for our wonderful GB. Um, I think, yeah, we just feel really blessed this year to be able to meet together again. I think, I guess, for the future, praying um, that our leader provision would continue. It's something we've always struggled with in the past. And we have, on occasion, had to stand up here and beg people to get involved. Um, but this year, we've been we've more leaders this year than we've had for the past three or four years. So we are really grateful for that. But just that people would um, think about it for the future. If it's a time in your life when you have you have the capacity to come and help out, um, that you would consider that um, as something that you might want to get involved in. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you for getting the, the plug in at the end there. That was great. Um, Thank you for all the work that, that you're doing. Later on in the service, we're going to pray for our young people and for, for you folks in particular. But just now, as we uh, respond, in a sense, to what we've already heard and recognize kind of the, the devotion that, that officers, leaders in our BB and GB companies do give, we're going to sing a song of dedication and devotion, which is, I will offer up my life. Over the last few weeks, as you can imagine, I've, uh, I've tuned in to a few Kirkpatrick Memorial uh, services. Uh, so uh, I've listened to Paul preach a number of times. So I'm really looking forward to hearing him preach live uh, in person uh, this morning. But before Paul comes to do that, we're going to read together from our scripture passage from, for this morning, uh, which is John chapter 2 uh, and beginning at verse 1. Let's hear God's word. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 80 to 120 liters. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from that the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Amen. Thanks, Graham. I want to start by saying it's lovely to be preaching today at this GB and BB um, service. But full disclosure, I'm speaking to you as a former scout. <laughs> uh, before Gareth eh, runs me out of the building, um, can I say honestly, if the local BB had been anything like the BB we have here at Kirkpatrick, it might have tempted me to hang up my woggle and scarf for the BB uniform. 
I can say that honestly because I've experienced a little bit of the good work that goes on in our organizations for myself. A couple of weeks ago, Gareth brought me on the BB tour. So I dropped in at Anchor Boys Junior's company section, and I know Graham did that with GB this week. There were lots of things I really enjoyed seeing that I could talk to you about, but probably the best bit for me was sitting around a campfire in Kernwood, hearing one of the leaders talk to the boys about Jesus. There's something really special, isn't there, about hearing the Bible read outdoors. I don't know if you've experienced that. I was remarking to the boys when I was chatting to them that that's the way people first heard the stories of Jesus. Only occasionally do we read of Jesus speaking indoors. Isn't that right? Most of the time, Jesus is outdoors. He's in nature, speaking to people about his Father in the open air. Now, as I thought about that this week, it seemed really appropriate that Jesus would do that because, as we know, the Bible teaches us one of the ways God makes himself known to us is in the beauty of his creation. What does Psalm 19 say? The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. That's why people, even those who don't profess a faith necessarily, will often say that they feel closer to God when they're in the great outdoors, when they're up a mountain or in a deep forest or in the middle of a tranquil lake. The great outdoors can lift us beyond ourselves and help us to glimpse a greater reality. Sometimes this feeling of awe can have a profound and lasting effect on us. It can, in fact, be a source of revelation, an epiphany. I want to give you an example of this from a story I discovered recently, and I think it will help us as we come to think about John chapter 2. You'll see this man appear on the screen here. I'd never heard of him before. You probably haven't either. His name is Avery Dulles. And he was the son of John Foster Dulles, who was a Secretary of State under President Dwight Eisenhower. Now, this man became a very significant church leader and theologian in the United States. But when he went to Harvard University as a young man in the 1930s, he was an agnostic. Though he was raised a Presbyterian, in truth, he began his adulthood not really believing in anything at all. But that all changed. It all changed one rainy spring day here on the banks of the Charles River at Harvard. When Dulles happened to notice one of these trees blooming into life after a hard winter. And as Dulles looked at this scene, all of a sudden, his doubts faded away. He was gripped by a deep conviction that there is a God. And not only that, that this God is all-wise, all-powerful, and all-good. Now, of course, hundreds, probably thousands of students walked past these trees every day. But for Dulles, they were an epiphany. Contemplating these trees was a moment of revelation for him, a surprise interruption of grace that transformed the ordinary into the extraordinary and gave him a glimpse of the glory of God. Now, why am I telling you this story before we look at John chapter 2? Well, I'm telling you because I think this is what's happening 
again and again in John's gospel. And especially in the passage we read today, John's gospel is all about epiphany. As Graham explained to us last week, it's about getting to know Jesus. Who is this Jesus? John's gospel shows us the revelation of God moving in to our neighborhood. But the challenge of John, as we're going to see as we journey through this book together, is that not everybody recognizes God's glory in Jesus. Some people look at Jesus and all they see is a carpenter's son. Maybe you remember this verse from last week. He was in the world, we read, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, not everyone looked at Jesus the same way. As I said, we're going to discover this again and again. So look out for it as we journey through this book. There will be some who see and believe. And there will be some who dismiss Jesus. And who remain altogether indifferent to him. Keep that dynamic in your mind as we consider John chapter 2. Known to us as the wedding at Cana. Because John is quite clear in this um, passage we've just read that we're to take this story as a sign. This should be to us an epiphany, a revelation of who Jesus really is. Maybe you picked up on verse 11 that Graham read for us. John writes, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. And so the challenge for us today is to decide how we're going to receive this sign. Like the students passing by those trees in the Harvard campus, are we going to close our eyes to the glory of God? Or are we going to be like Avery Dulles? Are we going to stop and look? Really look? Are we going to open our eyes and see his glory? the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm asking that question because I think it's all too easy just to pass by this story. Certainly most of the wedding guests seem to do so. Did you notice that? It's only the disciples in this story who see and believe. We were discussing this as a staff team last week, and and we've been pondering it together via WhatsApp and other means since. And Jane pointed out to me that in this passage, the chief steward gives all the credit to this abundance of wine to the bridegroom, not to Jesus. As far as they're concerned, it's a gift of the bridegrooms. They didn't see Jesus. And you know, when we think of how low-key this first sign appears, we recognize that this is actually quite an odd miracle for Jesus to start his ministry. I've been thinking about this a lot this week. I was thinking about how chess players, okay? Chess players will tell you the first move in a game is the most important. This is Jesus' first move, isn't it? This is his inaugural sign, his establishing miracle to point to who he is. And yet, it seems somehow underwhelming when you think of all the other signs that come later. 
In the Bible study uh, this week, when some of us were meeting, one of the men in my group talked about the story of Jesus calming the storm and how that had such a profound impression on him. That's a miracle really worthy of Jesus, isn't it? It's a miracle that shows us his utter power and control over nature. Who else but the creator God could tell the wind and the the waves to calm down? That would be a good miracle to start with. Or maybe walking on water. Or restoring sight to the blind. Or raising the dead. But no. Jesus' first miracle is to save a newly wedded couple from embarrassment. He helps them save face. Do you see what I mean when you think about it? It's a very domestic miracle, isn't it? It's so ordinary if you can describe any miracle as ordinary. But it's so unimportant when set alongside all those other signs in John's gospel that seem to be so much grander in scale. And you know, our puzzlement about this miracle is only reinforced when we take stock of Jesus' initial reluctance to perform it. Um, you see, there's, there's no sense here that Jesus went to this wedding at Cana determined to turn water into wine. It's quite the opposite, isn't it? Did you notice it's his mother, we read, who takes the initiative here? And when she approaches her son with, with this request, really, he makes this very curious response. Woman, what is this to you or to me? My hour has not yet come. Is that puzzling to us? See, there are many rabbit holes we could go down here. You can consult the commentaries for that. But I think there are a couple of things that we should maybe say here. First of all, I just want to defend Jesus and say he's not being rude or disrespectful to his mother here. That term woman was perfectly respectful and appropriate form of address in his day. And secondly, though, and most importantly, what I think Jesus is doing here in this response is he's reminding Mary that his mission is to be about his father's business. This is the sole purpose for which Jesus came, to do his father's will. And he's telling Mary here that nothing can distract him from that. After all, the hour he refers to is his death, isn't it? His resurrection and his ascension. So it's a puzzling response, but there's another piece of the puzzle to reckon with because there comes another surprising twist in this short dialogue. Because even though Jesus here seems to pretty much say, no, I'm not getting involved. Well, what does Mary do? She goes ahead and gives the servants orders anyway. And then Jesus responds. And he responds in a way that's utterly surprising to us. Because after his initial reluctance, he goes ahead and helps this young couple out. But not only that, he helps them out with such an extravagance. In a way that neither Mary nor they could possibly have hoped for or imagined. Did you notice how many jars of wine uh, Jesus uh, provides? 180 gallons, we are told. And it's the very best wine to boot. 180 gallons, that's a lot of wine. I did a little bit of calculation, okay, and I think that works out at about 900 bottles. That would keep you going for quite a while, wouldn't it? Far more than anybody could need, and certainly far more than they would need, even in this week-long wedding celebration. 
So, when we think about it, when we take in the scale of what Jesus is doing here, and when we begin to wonder, well, were we right to think that this was just some ordinary miracle, somehow less important or less spectacular than some of those more dramatic signs that we'll read about in weeks to come? You know, I think when we consider what this abundance of wine actually represents, we realize that this sign is just the right sign for Jesus' inaugural move, because it tells us something utterly essential about who he is. You see, I think this sign tells us that Jesus is the one who cares for our joy. This is what Jesus came to do. This is what his hour was to achieve. It was to make our joy complete by reconciling us to the Father. We see this when we stop to appreciate the symbol of this scene, the symbolism of this scene, when we actually stop to look. Because John is doing something very deliberate here with this matrimonial setting and the abundance of wine. He's showing us very clearly, isn't he, that Jesus is the fulfillment of what we read in the prophet Isaiah. Let me remind you of a couple of things. In Isaiah 25, we're given a picture of the kingdom of God, and that picture is of a great heavenly banquet where there's the finest fare on display. We've got good food, and most importantly, well-aged wine. And later in Isaiah chapter 62, the prophet imagines the future dwelling of God with his people, and he does that as imagining it as a marriage, a wedding. God will be the bridegroom and Israel his bride. So this wedding at Canaan reveals to us that Jesus is the fulfillment of what was promised in Isaiah. He is our bridegroom and we, the church, are his bride. He's the one who prepares a table for us and he fills our cup to overflowing with well-aged wine. In other words, Jesus is the one who comes to make our joy complete. And of course, I should be clear here, by joy, we don't mean happiness, do we? You, you know that, I'm sure, by now. You know that by joy, we mean something else. We mean what some of us have been thinking about as we've been journeying through Paul's letter to the Philippians. Joy as a fruit of the Spirit. That deep gladness in the heart that knows all is well. That unshakable peace, that quiet confidence that even in the midst of suffering, God is our comfort and our strength. We see this promise of joy in the extravagant supply of wine. But I think we see it too in an even more deeper way when we look at where this wine comes from. Because it comes from those jars of purification. Now what's going on here? Well, I think it's here that we see in this sign how it gets to the heart of who Jesus really is. But because by performing, transforming the water used for ritual cleansing into wine, well, Jesus is the one, reveals that he's the one who's come to bring fulfillment to the law of Moses. He's come as a replacement of the law, not to do away with it, but to be its completion. Now, I'm going to give you a challenge here. I want you to pay attention to this in the weeks ahead because you're going to see in different ways throughout this gospel as we journey through it together how Jesus comes to replace some of these um, practices of ancient Israel. 
We're going to see how Jesus replaces the temple so that we can worship him anywhere in spirit and truth. We're going to see how Jesus replaces the manna in the desert, the manna that sustained the children of Israel. And we're going to see how he's the bread of life and whoever eats from him will never go hungry. We're going to see how Jesus replaces Israel as the vine. He becomes the vine and we his branches. And right here, in this sign at Cana, we see the first of this. We see that Jesus replaces the waters of purification. Because we are now washed in the blood of Jesus, aren't we? Jesus has replaced the sacrificial lamb, and it's he who takes away the sin of the world. And let's be honest for a moment. When we think about joy, well, we have to recognize it's because of sin that all of us can experience an impoverishment of joy. Isn't that right? Sin, you know, is the great devourer of joy. Sin eats joy. It is sin that makes us restless and dissatisfied. It's sin that fuels the joyless urgency of our age. And this isn't just some rhetoric. It's not my sermon talk. I think we all know this to be true, don't we? It's our experience. We know that when we're mean-spirited or envious, when we're short-tempered or proud, we rob ourselves of joy. But Christ, in his mercy, has come to be our purification. He's the one who makes it possible for all of us, no matter what we have done or how far we have fallen short, to have access to that great reservoir of joy that can only be found in him. And again, watch out, Kirkpatrick, for this, because we're going to see this again and again in John's gospel too. You're going to see and hear how Jesus is the one who makes your joy complete. One of my favorite verses that does this in John's gospel is John 10, 10. We know it, don't we, off by heart. I have come that you might have life Life in all its fullness. That verse means a a lot to me and to Emma because it sort of became a strap line for our home congregation and everything we did at Fitzroy. Because for us, we recognized it gets to the very heart of the gospel that Jesus came to open us up to life, not to entrap us or restrain us, but to free us to truly live, to be fully human the way God intended us to be. And in all this, It's God's desire that we would have abundant joy. I'm going to finish shortly, but I think this leaves us with a challenge, doesn't it? A challenge for all of us. Some of us this morning sitting here, perhaps watching us online, may not yet know the joy I'm talking about. Or maybe you've known it, but you're at risk of forgetting it. If that's the case, I think the challenge for you today is not to walk on by. Don't be like those students at Harvard walking past the trees. Don't dismiss this story as some parlor trick or a fairy tale. Look and see. Open your eyes and your heart to the glory of God, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Because this Jesus... He cares about your joy. 
And he moved into your neighborhood to make you his sisters and brothers and to give you life. And for those of us who've been following Jesus for some time, there's a lesson for us here too, isn't there? Because there's something, as I reflected on this, about the ordinariness of this scene that challenges us to recognize that when Jesus is present, the ordinary becomes extraordinary. That in the simple things of life, the very simplest things, we can catch glimmers of the glory of God. And we can get access to that great reservoir of joy, that joy upon joy and grace upon grace, all because Christ is living with us. To help you, you see that this morning, I, I discovered a, a wonderful poem. Sorry, I'm using a poem again. I discovered it just this week, and I think it gives expression to this truth. I don't know what Drew said at his daughter's wedding recently, but this is a poem written for a son's wedding. Um, the poet Richard Wilbur, an American poet, wrote it for his son and daughter-in-law on their wedding day. It's called A Wedding Toast. It's for them, but it's also true for us, for all of us who've been adopted into the family of God. Let me read it with you as we finish. St. John tells how, at Cana's wedding feast, the water pots poured wine in such amount that by his sober count there were a hundred gallons at the least. It made no earthly sense unless to show how whatsoever love elects to bless brims to a sweet excess that can without depletion overflow. Which is to say that what love sees is true, that the world's fullness is not made but found. Life hungers to abound and pour its plenty out for such as you. Now, if your loves will lend an ear to mine, I toast you both, good son and dear new daughter. May you not lack for water. And may that water smack of Cana's wine. Friends, as we look to Jesus, may we recognize the great joy that he has in store for us. May we go out into this week eager with anticipation to experience that joy even in our ordinary days so that even the most mundane of moments might smack of Cana's wine. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's sing now in joy in response as we join together with the, the hymn, My Jesus, My Savior. Just before we come to our, our prayers for others uh, and then the close of our service, just a few uh, announcements uh, to remind folks of. Uh, one of them is, is quite important, so you need to, to pay attention to this from uh, next week on. That is that the district rota uh, for the 11.30 service is changing back to the way it was before Christmas. We've noticed a little bit of an imbalance from one week to the next uh, of children going out to Sunday club. Uh, big numbers one week, not so many the other weeks. So from next week uh, for the 11.30 service, week A will be districts 1 to 6. 
week B, districts 7 to 10A and 20. Uh, so please do uh, take that on board. As before, the 10 o'clock service is open to anyone to book in for, uh, but there's no children's ministry provided uh, at the 10 o'clock service. Uh, next Sunday, I'll be preaching on John 3, Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. Paul uh, is going to be in McQuiston Memorial, uh, giving Robert Beggs, our former vacancy convener, uh, a well-earned break for a week. Um, so that's what's happening next week then. It's been, it's been great to see people gathering for worship each Sunday, especially as COVID restrictions uh, lessen, hopefully a little bit, and maybe more so in the weeks to come. Uh, fuller services have been great to see, but it means it takes us a wee bit longer to enter the building uh, safely. So it would be really helpful, uh, particularly to the welcome team outside, if we could all arrive in enough time to be seated before the service starts. We are we're going to try uh, and begin promptly at 10 o'clock and 11.30 each week. Uh, so we really appreciate your cooperation in helping us to do that. A couple of other things, just uh, Four Corners Festival uh, is beginning uh, this week and celebrating its 10th year. Uh, and there's a list of events uh, that are happening uh, on the website, uh, on the Four Corners website. You can get to it through the email update as well. Uh, and then this Tuesday, PW uh, is hosting our uh, recently appointed office manager, Jane Booth. Um, and you're going to be asking her lots of tough questions at PW. Um, so that's 2.30 to 3.30 in the Whitley Hall. Uh, new folks always welcome to that and book in. Other activities uh, in the life of our church in the coming week, you can catch up with on the email update. Let's join in prayer together. Lord our God, we thank you so much for the gift of our children and our young people here in church and all the different activities and organizations in our Boys Brigade and Girls Brigade. We thank you for them. We thank you for uh, the sense of joy uh, that they bring to us the life that they bring to our congregation. And Father, we pray for them in these days. We pray for them in school as well as in church. We pray for them as they have been affected by COVID and have faced things that no other generation of children or young people has ever had to face. We thank you for dedicated teachers and youth leaders who care about their needs, who care about what they're going through. And we pray for them as they uh, adjust to hopefully moving out of this time of pandemic, that the things that they've experienced in these last couple of years will not have an impact on their further development. We pray for teachers in school, continuing to face all the challenges of trying to teach while dealing with restrictions, staff members off sick, children and young people off sick. We pray, Father, for them, that you would continue to strengthen and equip them, guide and lead them in the work that they do. For our leaders in children's and youth work here in this congregation, we pray, thanking you for their commitment and dedication to our young people and to you, and to sharing Jesus with our young people. Lord, we pray that you will strengthen their hands, that you will give to them the energy and enthusiasm they need for every week, 
and that you will continue through their work to speak into the lives of our children and our young people. We pray in particular for BB and GB. We thank you for that, that reality that they are part of the life of this congregation and that they are seeking to introduce boys and girls to Jesus Christ who gives them life in all its fullness. We pray that you will help them as they witness to Jesus among the, the children and young people. We pray that you will give to them all that they need. We pray for new leaders to come forward when needed. And we pray that you will help the leaders and officers in our BB and GB companies in particular to know that as they seek the advancement of your kingdom among boys and girls, that you will be walking with them, blessing their work, encouraging them every step of the way. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We close our service with another hymn uh, of response and recognition of who God is for us. The Lord is my salvation. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit be on each one of us this day and forevermore. Amen.